Good morning. Uh, it's really exciting to be with all of you today. Uh, I want to give a special welcome to everyone joining us in Renew over in the West Court. Uh, it's exciting to be with all of you guys through video, uh, as well as everyone joining us online and on the podcast. Uh, I'm very excited for us to dive into week three of our weather report teaching series uh, as we talk about the metaphorical weather in our spiritual lives, uh, both internally in our hearts uh, and externally in the world around us. And uh, I was really excited. Uh, I would consider myself a realist. Some people may consider me a cynic. And I wanted to speak on storms. Storms, a real negative, uh, powerful kind of idea. Uh, And then I found out somebody else had already picked storms. I wrote an outline I was really, really happy with, not to to toot my own horn, but uh, I I thought it was going to be a good one uh, uh, out of James, and I was was excited. And then Kurt Johnston preached that exact passage last week, which was great, and I'm not upset about it at all. Thank you, Kurt. Um, And so today we're going to talk about spiritual greenhouses, which is a much more cheery topic than uh, I originally picked, but I'm really excited. Uh, to go into what that means. Uh, When I was growing up, I used to mow lawns, I I delivered newspapers, but the first real job that I had, uh, I was working as a stock boy at a greenhouse uh, just outside Sherwood Park. And so two to three times a week, I'd hop on my orange Norco mountain bike, and uh, I'd head down Clover Bar Road, I would cross the Yellowhead, uh, head down this little country road to a greenhouse. And I didn't get that job because of my knowledge of plants. Uh, The only reason I really got hired was I was tall enough to reach the the hanging baskets without a ladder, uh, which meant I was a little faster than most of the other summer employees. A couple of years ago when I was working on my degree, I was working, uh, I spent a summer working full-time as a pesticide applicator. I worked on commercial uh, and industrial properties, chemical plants, um, refineries, train yards, things like that. I handled weeds. We also did fertilizing for grass and for large areas. The summer after that, on the year after that, I was working part-time as a a young adults director at a church. Uh, And I also was working part-time as a property manager. I was mowing. I was spraying pesticides. I was weeding. I was watering flower beds. I was cutting down trees and things like that. All this to say that I have a vast experience taking care of plants. And yet... I do not have what most people would call a green thumb. And my mom, who's actually here today, uh, she would agree with that sentiment. Uh, Every summer I've managed to kill one, two, four, or all of her flowers. Sorry, mom. But what I have learned through my job, uh, all these jobs working with plants, is that we as humans have a lot of control over how we care and nurture for plants. Uh, What I learned working in a greenhouse is that we can have precision control over the environment where we grow things. Right, in uh, the northern climate here in Canada, we've perfected climate control. Uh, I always find it funny that we spend so much time outside when we've spent thousands of years perfecting indoors. You may be able to tell where I spend most of my time. We've perfected AC for cooling. We have a furnace for heating. When I was working construction, I would install in-floor heating. Uh, my friend's house, he has a heated driveway to assist with snow removal. And this is the one time somebody from a pulpit will say, you can be jealous. <laughs> We've also created climate control for growth. Right? Greenhouses have humidifiers, dehumidifiers. They have heaters. They have lighting systems. 
right? They regulate temperature. They have watering systems. Right? Greenhouses here in Canada, they can grow things year-round that would never survive a Canadian summer, much less through a Canadian winter. If you want proof after service, you can head across the road to Ellerslie Gifton Garden, and they have a whole section of tropical plants in the middle of Edmonton. There's a family in the church that has uh, created an environment in their home where they can grow coral reefs. In the middle of landlocked Edmonton, people are growing coral. We have the ability to control our environment to promote growth. And I think this is a phenomenal metaphor for what Jesus wants to do with us through the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to create a climate that fosters spiritual growth. And so each of us is a little bit like a spiritual greenhouse. And over the next 20 or so minutes, uh, we're going to unpack what that means. And the best passage I know to explain this comes out of Galatians 5. And so if you want to turn with me in your Bible or in your your Bible app, uh, starting in verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so in this passage, we have clearly laid out what a good, godly, spiritual fruit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What the fruit or the works of the flesh look like. And we have a clear indicator that to create good spiritual fruit requires us to live by the Spirit. A quick summary of Galatians to help set some context as we go into this passage. Uh, Galatians is a letter. uh, It's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Many would describe it as Paul's magnum opus on Christian liberty uh, or Christian freedom. Uh, I would simply describe it as Paul's writings on a life filled with love. Galatians is a letter written by Paul to the churches in Galatia. Uh, Galatia was a province in the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, It's modern-day Turkey, and on one of his missionary journeys, Paul had planted some churches in this province, uh, and he had continued on planting churches as he went. And since Paul had left the church, uh, it had been infiltrated by the Judaizers, a group which taught that Jesus saved you, but you still had to fulfill the Jewish law. And this was made clear in their insistence that anybody who professed to be a Christian must be circumcised. And so Paul has heard of what's going on in Galatia, and he's writing to plea with them, return to the gospel. Right, the whole book tells us to step away from living by the law, to stop living by the law, and to live a life in the spirit. And it's Paul's claim that true belief in Jesus Christ will lead to a loving, 
holy lifestyle without the pressures and the barriers of the Jewish law. See, the goal of Christian life is not to follow the law, but it is to bear spiritual fruit. And it's like our passage says in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you want to produce spiritual fruit, you need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning I want to talk about three ways, you can count them one, two, three different ways that we can create an environment that fosters spiritual growth. And so the first way that we can create an environment that fosters spiritual growth is by distinguishing between our desires and God's desires. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And Paul makes it very clear that the desires of the spirit and the flesh are incompatible. If you're for the spirit, you cannot be for the flesh. If you're for the flesh, you cannot be for the spirit. They're diametrically opposed. They're opposite. They don't grow and come out of the same environment. Right? When you're growing a plant, you need to understand the right environment for it to thrive. How much sun does it need? How much water? Is it a shade plant? Is it a direct sunlight plant? And once you understand the environment that you need for something to grow, you can look at creating that environment. Right? The fruit of the Spirit grows out of our fallen, sinful nature. Or the fruit of the flesh, sorry, grows out of our fallen, sinful nature. And the fruit of the Spirit grows out of a life in the Spirit. So we need to, what are some practical ways we can distinguish between God's desires and our desires? Uh, three ways, gotta love three points, that we can attune ourselves to God, God's will to help us distinguish between our desires and God's desires. Number one, Bible reading. God's word, it's a written account of all he has done. And if you read this whole book, you'll have a pretty good idea uh, of what is of the spirit and what is of the flesh. The number one way we can understand the right environment, I would say, is Bible reading. It's living in the word daily, reading it daily, committing it to memory, and it's letting this book transform you. The second way we can attune ourselves to God's will, Christian community. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. In other translations, the word used is edify, right? To instruct and to improve. Uh, And I'm really passionate about two things. Uh, One, serving. Two, small groups. And it's not just because that's my job. I honestly believe that small groups are the greatest catalyst to life change that any of us can experience aside from the direct work of the Holy Spirit. And so when you serve alongside others, when you're journeying with others in a small group experience, you're gonna be continually exposed to a Christian community that's going to encourage you, that's going to build you up. The people that you journey with are gonna see things in your life, they're gonna point them out, gonna help you better understand what is right and what is wrong, what is God's desire and what is yours. They will support you and encourage you to live in the spirit. And the third way we can attune ourselves to God's will is prayer. Prayer is a direct communication line with God. When we pray, we're talking to him, 
And as part of our prayer lives, we should be listening to him. As we pray, we are submitting our lives to him. We're submitting ourselves to God and to his will, and we're becoming attuned to his presence. And so if we want to distinguish between our desires and God's desires, we need to be reading our Bibles, living in Christian community, and praying. And then we can begin to understand the right and the wrong environment for spiritual growth. The second way that we can foster spiritual growth is by crucifying or eliminating the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh are actions that flow out of our fallen human nature. There are the desires. And so the works of the flesh are the results of a worldly climate. It's the normal outcome for all of us. Right? And if we want to see godly fruit, then we have to eliminate the works of the flesh. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. They're all things that are clearly opposed to God's desires. And Paul makes it clear, this is not a complete list. Those who do such things, in verse 21, it refers to people that make a practice of doing these things. This is a pattern of life for people. Because our outward conduct indicates our inward spiritual life. And so if the works of the flesh is our outward conduct, then it's clear our spiritual greenhouse is not attuned to God's will. But the end goal of the Christian journey is not simply the elimination of worldly fruit. When I sprayed pesticides, uh, I often worked on industrial sites, oil refineries, chemical plants, train yards, uh, and an area that we often sprayed was flare stacks, where the large pillars of fire, not the biblical ones, exit the plant. We'd spray pesticides like arsenal, was the one that we used a lot in my summer there. Uh, and arsenal is a non-selective herbicide. It would kill everything in its path. You could spray it on the leaves of a tree, come back in a week, and that tree was dead. Uh, we worked a lot at the Dow Chemical Plant in Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, and in a previous year, one of the crews had gone and they had sprayed the wrong spot with one of these non-selective pesticides. And they had killed an entire green space in that chemical plant. Uh, and as I was talking to a crew foreman one day, uh, he told me that there will be no new growth and no sod that will root for almost seven years in that place. Right? It would be seven years before there could be healthy growth or they'd have to dig up and get rid of all the soil there and bring in new soil. There are times in your life, well, there's times where you want to eliminate plant life, like around a flare stack. Uh, many sites, though, simply wanted weeds controlled. I'm sure most of you with your yards want the same. You'd spray a selective pesticide, you eliminate the weeds, but you keep the good grass. I think this is a lot like our Christian journey. Uh, the goal is not to kill everything and to leave no fruit, to leave no results. Right, the Judaizers in Galatia that Paul has been confronting throughout this entire letter, they often focused on following the law so much, they focused on eliminating all the negative behaviors and the things that were against God, that they missed out on any new life they could have in Christ. 
Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The verse does not stop at do not conform to the world. Right? There's more than stopping worldly behaviors. The end goal of Christianity is not stopping worldly behaviors, but it's starting new ones. We're called to more than nonconformity. We're called to transformation. And if we stop at killing off everything, then we miss out on the spiritual fruit that we could bear. And this is the Judaizers' greatest mistake. They're so focused on eliminating and crucifying their flesh that they never move on to spiritual life. And so while eliminating the desires of the flesh helps us foster spiritual growth, we have to move on to a third way, pursuing spiritual fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The end goal of spiritual growth is not the elimination of the works of the flesh. It's the production of the fruit of the Spirit. It is living a life of love. Right? The law produces an outward display of spiritual-looking behavior, but it can be done without an inward desire to please or serve God. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear says, you don't eliminate a bad habit, you replace it. Uh, it's a principle that I rings true in both psychology and physics, uh, which I know because I took a 101 psychology course. I'm not an expert, but I've read a little bit on it. Uh, it rings true in physics as well. When there is a vacuum, when there is an emptiness, something is going to fill it, and it's going to be whatever has the least resistance. Right? Stopping a behavior is really difficult because our brains like patterns. They like association. They like connections. Replacing a behavior is much more realistic. An example taken from the book, uh, if you smoke when you get stressed, it's a really bad plan to say, I'm just going to stop smoking. Right? Instead, you have to come up with something else you will do to help you manage the stress. In the same way, following the law and eliminating our sinful desires is much more difficult than replacing the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. We have to both eliminate our sinful desires and we have to pursue spiritual fruit. And so how do we foster spiritual growth? One, we distinguish between our desires and God's desires. Two, we crucify the desires of the flesh or eliminate the desires of the flesh. And three, we foster and pursue spiritual fruit. We identify the right patterns of life and we live in them. Philippians 4, starting in verse 8, it says, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Pursue spiritual fruit. In his book, The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul says, There's nothing easy about becoming holy. Yet the Bible lays out what holiness is supposed to look like. Operating a greenhouse is a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to create a specific environment for plants to grow. And oftentimes these climates need to be adjusted as things are changing. 
right? Matching the external circumstances would be easy. Leave the doors and windows open. Let in the water, let in the heat, let in the cold, let in the humidity, let in the light or lack thereof, let in the weeds, let in the pests, and you can see what grows. But maintaining internal circumstances is hard work, right? You need the right climate to produce growth. There's humidifiers, dehumidifiers, there's lighting systems, there's heating, there's cooling, there's watering. And in a greenhouse, these things are monitored, they're adjusted and optimized. And it takes a tremendous amount of energy to maintain them. And our spiritual lives function in the same way. To maintain a holy, spirit-filled climate is hard work. Right? We need to close the doors and the windows. We need to illuminate our lives with the word. We need to be surrounded by believers encouraging our growth. We need to fight off pests and throw off temptation and sin. We need to be praying. If we aren't putting in the effort to grow, then we won't. And so, as we close, I want to leave with two questions. The first, how can you better foster spiritual growth? Joining a small group, starting serving, consistently Bible, being in Bible reading, prayer, more regular attendance at church, Bible memorization. There's lots of ways that we can promote our spiritual growth, that we can dig in, that we can nurture the fruit that we're growing. What's the next step for you? What's the next step that might promote your growth so you can grow faster, that you can grow better, that you can begin growing even? What are you going to do to better foster spiritual fruit? And the second question, in what ways are you leaving the doors open? It's really hard to maintain a spiritual climate when you leave the door open. Right? You have the power to close and open the door, to expose yourself and leave yourself vulnerable. And there's lots of ways that we can leave the door open, through bad relationships that bring us down, friends that are encouraging unbiblical behavior, people that are distracting us from our spiritual growth. Right? We expose ourselves in bad environments, when we're putting ourselves in places of temptation, when we stay in ungodly conversations and gossip. We leave the door open with our media choices when we decide to finish the season, even though there's nudity in language, when we consume pornography, when we follow fashion and fitness blogs that might be a little over-sexualized, when we overuse social media and technology and distract ourselves from things that may help us grow. Oftentimes, it's not even the bad choices that leave us vulnerable. It can be neutral ones, right? Things that have left us open, things that aren't contributing to our growth, but aren't taking away from it either. Things that we could replace to grow faster and to bear more fruit. What ways are you leaving the door open to temptation and to reducing your ability to grow spiritual fruit? Shut the door close off negative influences okay, to create spiritual growth, an environment for spiritual growth. We distinguish between our desires and God's desires. We eliminate the environments that bear the works of the flesh, and we pursue an environment that fosters spiritual fruit. Would you pray with me?
God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you came and that you died as we get a celebrating communion today, that you freed us from the law and that we can pursue a life of spiritual fruit. God, thank you that we can pursue a life becoming more like you. Help each of us to foster an environment where we can grow spiritual fruit. Give us the wisdom to understand the different environments. Give us the wisdom to understand your desires and our desires and to know the difference. God, give us the strength to resist temptation, the strength to close the doors of our life. And God, give each of us a passion to grow spiritually and to bear great fruit. God, let us be a church that's known for our overflowing abundance of spiritual fruit.